Episode 179, dated Friday the 26th of November 2010, The 50 Greatest Gaming Characters, Part 1. Welcome to the 50 Greatest Video Game Characters, as voted for by our community. This was a poll comprising well over 500 votes and 200 characters. We've collated the data and put them in order of popularity, and the order is bound to cause some controversy. This week's episode will be covering numbers 50 through 26. Be sure to tune in next week for the epic conclusion to this two-part extravaganza. And you'll be hearing voices from all around our community and the extended video gaming podcast network. So thanks very much to everyone who made contributions to this one, and made it as epic as it has become. So without further ado, let's start off with number 50. This mansion is gigantic. We could get into trouble if we get lost. We should start from the first floor, okay? And, Joe, here's a lockpick. It might be handy if you, the master of unlocking, take it with you. Barry Burton. From Resident Evil. What I remember about Barry, and what I liked the most about him, is that he had some of the cheesiest and funniest lines ever. Lucas Carson. One of my personal favorites is near the beginning, when he finds the blood in the dining room. What? What is this? What is it? Blood. Jill, see if you can find any other clues. I'll be examining this. Hope this is not Chris's blood. There's also a scene where Barry meets up with you in the hall and gives you some acid rounds for the bazooka, and he says this. It's a weapon. It's really powerful, especially against living things. Neil Taylor. I'm a huge Resident Evil fan. I love these games. I could play them for hours, and I've played just about everyone going. But Barry Burton is the only character from the Resident Evil games on this list. And for the life of me... I haven't got a bloody clue why. He is the most pathetic and useless character from the series of games. He doesn't do anything in the first one apart from get used by Wesker to turn on Jill. He comes out with some of the worst lines and is a completely rubbish character. He doesn't do anything. All he manages to do is turn on Wesker, which doesn't really help because Wesker comes back with even funkier powers later on in the series. I mean, his only act of really great heroism is right at the end of Resident Evil Nemesis. And spoilers if you haven't got that far, he turns up and rescues Jill in a helicopter. How the hell is Barry Burton on this list? And shame on you if you put him in there. Because, I mean, let's face it, when it comes to the Resident Evil games, if you're going to pick any character from the Resident Evil games, you might as well pick Wesker, because at least he's a fun, over-the-top bad guy. I bum Wesker. (laughs) (laughs) He's just man-crushed, immense. He's my desktop background on my PC. Wesker is just pure win. James Perkins and Darren Gargett. A lot of people, their favourite Resident Evil character is Leon Kennedy or Chris Redfield or, or Jill Valentine, but mine has to be Wesker. He is just awesome. So yours is the freaky man who can warp through air and he's really evil and has some sunglasses. Yeah. That, that's a kinky night in the dungeon, isn't it? I can see some machinima coming out of this. Midgemeister, uh, the animal from Muppets, uh, taking one up the bum from Wesker. <laughs> <laughs> what about Chris? It's just ridiculous. 
ridiculous that Barry Burton, who throughout the first game is a pawn of Wesker, who briefly appears in Resident Evil 3, and was last seen in the Mercenaries mode of Resident Evil 5, is on this list. He's not playable, he's not fun, and he comes out with some of the worst jokes. Or, not even jokes, some of the worst lines. Alright, admittedly, Resident Evil 1's dialogue isn't particularly fantastic, but... Hey, you were almost a Jill sandwich. You were almost a Jill sandwich. You were almost a Jill sandwich. This line is so famous, even Capcom has made fun of it. In Dead Rising, there's a sandwich shop in the Willamette Mall called Jill's Sandwiches. Really? Was that enough to get him on this list? I cannot think of a single redeeming fact or feature of Barry Burton that should get him in to this list of top 50 characters and be the only character from Resident Evil when you've got Claire and Jill and Chris and Leon, you know, and Ada Wong, Sherry. Sherry's more use, in fact. Sherry from Resident Evil 2 is more use than Barry Burton is in the original Resident Evil games. He got his own game, and it's not even in the canon. That must tell you something about how great Barry Burton is. Why the hell is he on this list? I mean, really. (laughs) You're right. Barry, thanks for saving my life. Yeah, yeah. In the end, I would say the best word to describe Barry is unforgettable. Number 49, Sackboy from Little Big Planet. Now, we haven't had much on Sackboy. A lot of people don't consider him to be a character because he's so customizable, or possibly just because there's... I don't know. He's brimming over with personality. I don't see why Mario could be in this list and Sackboy can't. Well, you see, I'm actually surprised it's as far down at 49, because, you know, Sony doesn't have too many mascots, and I kind of feel like Sapboy is one of those. I mean, sure, he, he doesn't have lines, he doesn't do any dialogue or anything like that, but he's as cute as anything. That's a button. He, no, he, he, he's lovely. He's a really... In, uh, he's an interesting character without necessarily having, you know, like I say, an overarching storyline. I think it's just, you know, you can personalise him, and I think that's some, maybe one of the reasons why he's, he's so far down the list. But, you know, you can sit down, you can personalise him, you can make him your own little sad boy. Mm. In fact, I have a sad boy in my house. Yeah. Uh, went out and bought one. <laughs> no, like I said, I'm surprised he's as far down as he is. On the little big planet, you're a little sack person. This one is you. Oh, bless. You're quite a cute one. Now, to move around, use the left stick. Just push it a little for dainty tippy toes, or push it all the way to run like your sacking depends upon it. And don't forget your three J's. Jump, jump, jump. Give the action button a short, sharp press for a small hop, or hold it down for a huge, bounty leap. On you go. Sackboy might be one of the most disappointing characters of all time. Really? Yeah, that'll do. No, 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 you've got to elaborate on that. Um, I, um, he's cute, uh, he's customizable, which is nice, yet if he could jump any slower, <laughs> um, I would... Um, I would have to um, round up every single soft toy in the world and set them on fire. Why would you do that? That's just mean. Anger. David Turner. <laughs> just, just pure anger. Well, just okay. Pure... Apparently, uh, Little Big Planet Two allows you to control the the level of jumping with gravity and all that stuff. But I can't forgive him. Oh, I would never be able to forgive Sackboy for those extra. Think how many times you've jumped in and Little Big died. Planet, right? 
just, just think about every time you've pressed that jump button a little big planet now take a millisecond right where it's that extra millisecond of him in the um in the air where he doesn't need to be add them all together and you've probably got about six minutes those six, those six minutes could have been spent pop into the shop and buying a Mars bar and eating it on the way home right do you know what I mean sort it out <laughs> I, could have, I could have had a Mars bar but instead you've been in the air for too long um, so if I had a choice if someone said Look, Alex come here you can either be in the air for too long or have a Mars bar what would you rather have you'd have a Mars, Mars bar. bar every time so you'd never have, you'd, you'd, but instead so what you're basically saying is you long. could fly for six minutes but you'd rather have a confectionery snack right yeah that's that's exactly what you'd I'm rather saying. do that than fly for six minutes of your life well I mean personally caramel but I'm not in the air sack boy in chocolate the, 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 see sack boy's in the air for too long not me and I have to watch sack boy in the air too long and not have a Mars bar and I could be having a Mars bar Alex don't I'd care. say it's it's what bothers me more is the fact that because of his weird jumpy laggy jump time I miss time jumps from what I'm used to in, in pl- platform games and Little Big Planet is absolutely fucking merciless it gives you four chances and by the time you've just about got it by the time you've just just got it and you're like right I've died twice I won't die this time you survive and you fuck up the next jump and then they send you off the level okay okay Alex add all those moments together and mm-hmm. you can either watch yourself die lots or have three Mars bars oh you know what three Mars bars exactly so- Sold. Number 48, Auron, from Final Fantasy X. Maybe the baddest ass of all Final Fantasy characters. Oh, Auron, you were the salve that soothed the painful sores of Final Fantasy X. Carolyn Sonic. You and your mass immune katana cutting through enemies and saying snarky comments after battle when you kicked ass? It was bliss! I mean, for the entire game, dude is dead. He's an undead former warrior monk of Yevon. He's dead, and he kills everything. He kills everything with one arm while slinging the other arm through his jacket. Bitch in sunglasses and a jug of sake at his hip, which he drinks from when he performs the banishing blade overdrive? Dude! He could be half in the bag and yet still kick your sorry ass all over Spira. Carrying a giant jug of what we can only assume is Final Fantasy moonshine around. With a giant ass katana. And swinging a sword the size of three normal people. Dan Ilson. Uh, and not constantly whining like the main character. Titus, or whatever you named him, I called him Smegma, was a pithy, whiny, and useless character. I'm not salivating over the lead character in a Final Fantasy series. <gasps> I could go on, but that would diminish the awesomeness of Oron. Yeah, I said it. Awesomeness. It doesn't get much better than him in probably one of the better Final Fantasy games story-wise, where his mystery is actually a big part of the plot, uh, who he is and how he's come to be the way he is, uh, and manages to say a lot without speaking, which is good because the voice acting in that game wasn't always the best so you were the shining moment of final fantasy 10 for me yuna as much as other people loved her for being a strong female character she was nothing but annoying to me a cool customer with his aori draped over his left shoulder until it's time for business the business of kicking ass you see then he throws the sleeve off and oh damn it is on with quotes like 
Your pain shall be twofold, and, hmm, let's go. Oron exudes the quiet, smoldering, badass attitude that makes him one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters. You remind me of myself. Before, the closer I came to Xanarkin, the more I wondered. When we arrive, Brasco will call the final Aeon. He will fight Sin, then die. I thought my mind was made up long before. But when I stood here, my resolve wavered. Hmm. Never would have figured. Legendary Guardians choke sometimes too, yeah? <laughs> Legendary Guardian? I was just a boy. A boy about your age, actually. I wanted to change the world too. But I changed nothing. That is my story. A classic Final Fantasy character, one of my favorites, and looks much better now in the days post-Final Fantasy XIII when all of the characters have become whiny little brats. Yes, I'll stick him off the seat, Number 47, Claptrap, from Borderlands. Oh, come on. Get down. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. I'm dancing. I'm dancing. Look at me. I'm dancing. I'm dancing. Oh, come on. Let's get down. Come on, everybody. Check me out. I'm dancing. I'm dancing. Pop drop. Trap. Okay. Why do you like clap trap? Because to me, he only does three things. He dances, he gets stuff sorted out for you, and he whirs around the place. What, what? Have you played the additional DLC? Oh, no, no, is it? Why? What? There's other claptraps. Ah. Uh, Finley Man. In the Zombie Island one, there's a claptrap that's own, that's a Jacob's one, and it's got, like, a wooden finish to it, and it's an evil claptrap. It's almost, like, Navi, in that really kind of annoying way, but you know that you probably should listen, because there's probably something useful that it's going to come out with or when you do the little missions for it and it's broken and you end up getting the repair kit for it and it, it reveals a new chest for you with a decent gun in it it's kind of that rewarding thing that you get of helping someone who's well pretty crippled kind of almost like um, the little robot in Futurama the the little poor robot with the, the tinny tin yes it's kind of that, <laughs> that, that, that level of pity that you have for it and it's kind of oh, and you can't kill them either which is Quite disappointing. So, see, for me, I, no one's ever seen this cartoon, but basically the best elements of Claptrap, the dancing and the coming up with weird, screechy things that you wouldn't expect a robot to say, and the being cute, is actually nothing to do with Futurama. It's a, it's a cartoon called Invader Zim, and there's a character, a robot in it called Gurr, who dances like a monkey and comes up with things you wouldn't expect, and is a little robot with a little antenna on the top, just like Bender, just like Claptrap. And it, it's... I don't think it's kind of a, a decent character that you're, you're meant to like. I think it's kind of one that you kind of feel pity and kind of get quite annoyed about. Um, it's kind of that nagging sound constantly going, oh, you might want to go over there, or oh, I've done, I've analysed so many grains of sand. But it's quite funny and kind of how it also is quite similar to Marvin the Martian and that it's quite, if you listen to the sound clips, some of them are very depressing. <laughs> There's a Gearbox released a whole range of them that you could get the MP3s from. And I was listening to some of them, and some of them I'd never heard before. There was some of them which was actually saying, kill me now. It's a robot that's that depressed <laughs> doing what it does. It's almost like it's bipolar, and that's sometimes really happy, and it's sometimes just incredibly depressed. Oh, yeah, well, hey, 
They let me pick. Did I ever tell you that? Choose whichever Spartan I wanted. You know me. I did my research, watched as you became the soldier we needed you to be. Like the others, you were strong and swift and brave. A natural leader. But you had something they didn't. Something no one saw but me. Can you guess? Luck. Was I wrong? Number 46, Cortana from the Halo series. I mean, we told around with the idea before of a computer having personality, but it was always kind of fun to see how Cortana would react to situations and also try to, you know, help you along and fight you through. It also has made me laugh how she kind of treated Master Chief as the, uh, I guess the dumb older brother, the muscle head who doesn't really know what he's doing. Brian Mitchell. And I guess it took some time to get used to her constant chattering in my ear, constantly providing me with updates, nav points, objectives, commentary, everything. But I didn't really appreciate this until I had it taken away at the end of Halo 2 when you had to give up Cortana to the Gravemind. And pretty much through most of Halo 3 up until you get her back. So you did miss me. It was at that time, you know, you realize how quiet the game actually was without her voice in your head the whole time. I think you, you're in love with Cortana, so I'm you... I'm not in love with Cortana. You do. You love her cybernetic parts. And frankly, actually, considering the, the voiceover artist, I, I don't blame you. She's lovely. What's her name, Jenna? Cortana's a weird one, because... Obviously, Master Chief is the driving force of that story. She's actually a, a, a love interest in the Halo universe, which sounds really weird, obviously, because she's a computer AI. There's more to it than that. I mean, I'm not going to say it's a deep romance, but there's like this respect that Master Chief has for Cortana. And, I mean, if you read, go back into the fiction, she picked him. You know, she had a choice of anybody she wanted to, but as an advanced AI, she saw something in him knowing that he was special. Like I say, it's kind of quirky, cliche-ridden, and the fact that, you know, that's the kind of love interest that, that was kind of pushing through Halo. It works against his kind of over-the-top harshness of Master Chief, you know. It's just, you know, he's out to get the bad guys and that's it. And she kind of brings a, a sense of reality to the whole situation, a sense of kind of uh, humanness, beingness to, to the whole proceeding. So, yeah, I think she's, she's correct in, in being within the top 50 characters. Number 45, Showdown, System Shock. Look at you, hackers. A pathetic creature of meat and bone, panting and sweating as you run through my corridors. How can you challenge a perfect, immortal machine? Now, Shodan holds a very special place in my heart. She is probably the number one villain I can think of of all time, personally, for me. Mike Barton. Shodan is the original female AI. GLaDOS has nothing on her. Hal has nothing on her. Guilty Spark from the Halo series has nothing on her. There is no AI in any game that has anything on her. She's the evilest, evilest bitch you will ever meet, with a pulse or without it, digital or otherwise. She was terrifying. She was deceptive, she was manipulative, she was ingenious. I mean, she maneuvers you as the game character into doing her bidding without you realizing it, and then when you find out that she's Shodan, 
she blows your mind and she still maneuvers you into a place where you have no choice but to help her. The point where you find out where she was showed on, I actually peed myself. I didn't actually pee myself, that's a lie. I came close to peeing myself though. I was shocked and amazed. She was such an amazing character. I still vividly remember the part where she like the room pulls away and it's like the dead body of this girl you thought you worked for who committed suicide because they didn't want to work for Shodan. And it goes, I am Shodan. And I was like, oh shit. I'm terrified of a game, and it was a terrifying game to begin with. But having Shodan in it, and like knowing that Shodan existed in the, like the form that she did, and the, like the evil manner that she did, was amazing. I've never in any game experienced a disembodied persona scare me so much and intimidate me so much and make me so happy to have played a game. She is one of the most memorable characters of all time, without a doubt. Someday, maybe t uh, System Shock Three will get made. Who knows? But. Until that day, there is nothing like Shodan. She belongs in the video game hall of greats without a doubt. And if her and HK47 had some kind of weird technological baby in any game, it would come to life, come out of the game, take over the world and destroy us all, no doubt. Number 44, Captain Price, Call of Duty series. The healthy human mind doesn't wake up in the morning thinking this is its last day on Earth. But I think that's a luxury, not a curse. To know you're close to the end is a kind of freedom good time to take inventory. Outgunned, outnumbered, out of our minds on a suicide mission. But the sand and rocks here, stained with thousands of years of warfare, they will remember us for this. Because out of all our vast array of nightmares, this is the one we choose for ourselves. We go forward like a breath exhaled from the earth, with vigor in our hearts and one goal in sight. We. Will. Kill him. I came to the Modern Warfare series as backwards. That is to say, I played two before playing one, and I knew nothing about the first one. Duncan O'Sullivan. So, when Scott McTavish handed back Captain Price that gun that was used to kill Zakaev in the original, the moment just flew over my head. From there on in, I must say, when Captain Price started shooting, Modern Warfare 2 got a lot better, a lot more engaging, and I wanted to finish the game. Then went to play Modern Warfare 1, and holy shit, after that first mission, I was ready to run through a brick wall for Captain Price. He's a gentleman, he's a rebel, he stands up to injustice. He is a leader of men, a true icon of shoot em ups, the embodiment of Call of Duty. No bullshit, all balls to the wall. Number 43, Raz. Psychonauts. Don't you train Psychonauts here? Yes, darling. But... To soar across the astral plane. To wage psychic warfare against the enemies of free thought. That is what I wrote on the front of the pamphlet. Those words are why I'm here, Coach Oleander. Do you remember what you wrote on the inside of that pamphlet? You were born with a special gift. But the people around you treat it like a curse. Your mother is afraid of you, and your father looks at you with shame in his eyes. Come to Whispering Rock Psychic Summer Camp, and you can show them all. Back home, your powers make you a loner, an outcast, a circus freak. But in this dojo, in this psychic dojo, they make you a hero. Get that soldier a bunk! Dan Ilson. 
Raz is a great Tim Schafer character, <laughs> son of a family of circus performers who leaves the circus to go to this, you know, psychic army unit for children uh, and develop his psychic powers. And it's great. Uh, he's this semi-fumbling, mildly incompetent character at the beginning of the game, but in kind of a, a hallmark Tim Schafer character movie, he's full of all this enthusiasm and, to some extent, confidence with no real justification for it which makes comedically for a fantastic character throughout the game. But he also grows into some of that confidence as the game goes on and actually becomes rather capable. Um, so it's nice from a standpoint of watching him mature throughout the game and also watching the unintentional comedy situations he manages to work himself through um, over the course of the game. That character, you know, and many of the characters in that game really made that game work and made it the critical darling, if not uh, commercial darling, that it was. So all in all, a fantastic game and a great, very interesting character. They may come for me, Dogen, but they'll be looking for Raz, the boy. What they're going to find, what they don't expect, is Raz, the psychonaut. And, and, and then you'll make their heads explode? No. Do you do that? No. Well... Once, kinda. But now I wear this special hat. Wanna try it on? No, no, no. Number 42, Yoshi Mario Series. You know what? Fuck it. No one gave us anything on Yoshi. You all know about him. He's a dinosaur that craps shells and breathes fire. He's cute. He's cuddly. But, you know, he's not even a character. So I'm tossing Yoshi off. Okay? No more Yoshi. He's out. But guess who's in? It's only Joker from Mass Effect. Commander, sorry about the crew. And I... You know what? I'm not sorry. What the hell were you doing leaving us out here where collectors can work us over? Because you know what? I should... I should just go. Next port, just get the hell out of here. You don't mean that, Jeff. I... No, but it... It felt good. I'm sorry, Commander. Okay, I'm ready. I'm good. I'm ready to save the day. I know how dangerous it was. If you need some time, let me know. Ah, jeez. Don't get like that. I know I got lucky. I don't need to get all touchy-feely. Shepard is right to be concerned, Jeff. You may have suffered a number of stress fractures. That's what pills are for, Edie. She is so my mom. I notice you're calling Edie her and she now. Huh. No, I hadn't really noticed that. Edie, should I have noticed that? No, Jeff. It is not worth noting. Well, there you go, Shepard. Looks like we haven't noticed anything. I think you're taking the human-machine interface a little far. I'm just having a little fun with you, Commander. No need to get all unnatural on me. What Jeff and I are exhibiting is more a platonic symbiosis than hormonally-induced courtship behavior. Okay, yeah, that was a little creepy. Edie's replaced the whole crew. You're not concerned she can replace you, too? Well, she's amazing, but there's something off about how she handles the Normandy. We ran simulations, and it's better when we both have the helm. Calculating an optimum course of action is simple. If two AI weapons are pitted against each other, the one with superior hardware will always win. Human misjudgments defy predictive models. License to screw up, Commander. You heard it straight from the ship. 
Joker got a grand total of zero votes from anybody. I even forgot about him, and I think if I'd put him in there, more people would have voted for him if I'd made more of a fuss. Voiced by Seth Green, Joker is brilliant. He's the backbone of Mass Effect. He's your pilot. He's funny, but at the same time, there's something very serious and kind of sad about him as a character. He's disabled, which makes him one of the first video game characters to be really stand out and, and a really great personality and representing the disabled community, if you will. And you care about him. There's several times in Mass Effect 1 that I thought, okay, he's told me that he's got very weak legs. Something horrible is going to happen to him, and I'm going to be really, really sad. And I was gearing up for it. At the beginning of Mass Effect 2, I was like, oh God, oh God, poor Joker, come on, oh God, come on, Joker. I am appalled and ashamed <laughs> with our community that Duke Nukem got in here and got way more votes than he deserved, and Joker didn't even get one. I'm ashamed for myself. I, I, yeah, I completely agree with you, and I, I think one of the reasons why Joker is, is such an impressive character is because listening to all those descriptions, you know, he, he's disabled, he's the, he's the tech guy, you know, he just pilots a ship. He's pretty much ripe for just easy, you know, stereotypical characterization. And they don't. They actually take his character and really push him forward. Um, you know, he's actually the hero of quite a few scenes within Mass Effect. Yeah. Um, even when you've, you've got bigger, larger life characters, he kind of, once again, brings it back down to like a, a level ground Earth. And without this guy, you know, there's certain things would go down and certain people would die that much easier and he kind of steps up to the plate even though he has all of these flaws as a character yeah uh, uh, and that's the, I mean Yoshi I don't know Yoshi is uh, one of those things where I think if you look at an overall character like that he's like yay he's yeah, barely I, a character I like, the, I like the series you know oh I remember playing Yoshi but he's not really he doesn't do anything to stand out I mean he, yeah he's a cute little dinosaur dude but yeah we, we, we he's certainly not anybody's go to guy for Mario Kart that I know of He's fast. He's all right. He's no toad. Who, by the way, wasn't on this list. However, Joker is the Hoban wash to the Normandy's serenity. Tommy Facetti, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. Lance, what the hell's going on? It's your friends up north, Tommy. They ain't too happy you kept their man. They're coming down to see the business today. They took longer than I thought. Guys, we gotta make this final. We gotta leave no doubt that this is my operation. Mine! Ken, you get the first one of counterfeit cash and put 20 mil in briefcases. Lance, you get the guys together. Horrible little thugs. I would look. I was trying my best to find some good Tommy Vassetti uh, sound bites on YouTube, and he's he fucking says nothing. He says, "Man, they took my money. Those motherfuckers." I love. I loved him. David Turner. 
I think with Tommy Facetti, the reason why I liked him, I mean, it helps when it's based in one of the gra- best Grand Theft Autos. Oh, yeah, the best uh, for me. Of, of all time. But Tommy was great because there hadn't been a Grand Theft Auto character until him. Hmm. Um, no, no one talked until him. No, the, the protagonist before him was... Didn't even have a name. No, and he was a little bit annoying, and the only time he had a little bit of character was right at the very end, which I don't suppose you mind spoiling, do you? No. I think the moratorium on Grand Theft Auto 3 is somewhat up. Good. You know when he shoots that, you know, the girl that he's... The annoying girl. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was was a little bit of humour, and the only time where he actually liked the character in Grand Theft Auto. Because she'd been annoying you for the whole game. Yeah, exactly. But, like, with... By city, you've gone from a guy in a duffel coat who says nothing and does. It's not duffel coat. It's a black leather jacket. Or a black leather jacket, whatever. It's duffel coat to me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and the Eskimos will be proud. You've gone from just like Captain Average to a guy who's bowling out in khaki pants and a, um, a Hawaiian shirt. You know what I mean? And that was such a slap in the face for me when I first saw it, but. Totally got into his character, and I really liked his build-up and um, uh, the way he was reacting with the world around him. You know, he sort of you you kind of reacted the same way with him. Like the best moment in that game for me was when you were working with that the, the porn producer, mm-hmm. and you were going uh, on and off the sets and stuff. And the way Tommy was reacting with the tasks being asked of him by a guy who was directing porn for a living. Was, I, I just thought it was wonderful, um, and then when it built up into the you know the sort of massive Scarface rip-off finale, mm. um, I just felt for the character a lot, and I I, I loved him for that. Um, and for me, he'll always be the original Grand Theft Auto character. Yeah, and, and probably. I I don't think I've liked a Grand Theft Auto main character as much as him. I certainly didn't like CJ because of the company he kept and the attitude he had. Didn't like Nico in the end. I liked him to begin with. The other two, I mean, from the DLC, I mean, they're great characters and, and they're great, you know, add-ons, but I don't think you've spent enough time with each of the characters. I can't even remember the name of the guy in Gay Tony. No, exactly. It's just, it's I remember Tony, he was fine, funny. Yeah. Interesting character. I think Tommy Facetti rightfully should be in this list because I, I think he is the first Grand Theft Auto character and I, I loved him F-U. I'd say I fell in love with the world of GTA and he was sort of you know window dressing for that I, I loved the fact that you could basically Avatar yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a he was a rude and violent avatar. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that you could dress up in penny loafers and uh, a jacket with the sleeves pulled up and, and slicked back hair and no socks and go driving around in a white Ferrari Testarossa with someone who looked like Tubbs. The fact that you could basically treat him, like, yeah, for the first time like a clothes horse uh, and just really get in with the crappy '80s fashion. Ah, oh, but the music. The music and the sunsets in that game. But we're talking about the game, not the character. Well, so. I still love the character, so shove that in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, 
Number 40, April Ryan, The Longest Journey. You know, for once, just once, it would be nice to have a decent night's sleep without waking up screaming from a bad dream at 4 a.m. I'm in my undies. That's so not appropriate. Boy, that's some chick. I don't think I can get a good grip on it. It's too big and slippery, and I might drop it by accident. I don't much care for reptiles. For some strange reason, I have a feeling I should get the hell out of here before the tenants return. Tina Sustarek. Emperor Ryan is just an ordinary high school student who gets involved into a plot much bigger than she is. Sounds like the most popular stereotype next to a sword-wielding farm boy. Her position to restore the balance between order and chaos is very much written, but not completed. In return, she asks for nothing more than a normal life, but even that takes a spin in the end, like a traditional point-and-click protagonist. She survives on her wits, instincts, and crazy MacGyver skills. The best aspect of her character is lent to her thoughts. Snarky and generous Savi, even more so in the in-game diary that constantly fills up page by page, leading to her often hilarious insight and commentaries on the world around her. But above all, she is a woman, young and inexperienced with the sudden duty hanging over her head. She gets her losses and her wins, even though the former always seems to overweight the latter, leading to her final decisions that might not be the best but are reasonable with someone in her place. Number 39, Jade. From Beyond Good and Evil. You know, this is another critical darling game that maybe not everyone's familiar with, but Jade is this great uh, human c- main character. Dan Ilson. On a planet of Hillis where she's an orphan and she's working as a reporter. And throughout the course of the game, you get to see Jade discover all sorts of things about herself while she's investigating the doms, which are these uh, evil, you know, alien oppressors that she's dealing with throughout the game. But it's great to watch um, kind of her journey of self-discovery as she moves on throughout the game, finding out that her pig man companion, Paige, is in fact not really her uncle, but the leader of this network of resistance fighters against the doms and thinking he's dead, going on to rescue him, uh, finding out a lot about herself and how she relates to the doms, uh, and that her human form is who she is, but not the entirety of who she is. And so, you know, it's it really is it's a great self-discovery story. Uh, it's a great chance to watch somebody grow from someone with almost no background to somebody that you really truly care about and are invested in by the end of the game. Uh, It's just a really well-developed, interesting character where you don't know everything at the beginning uh, and grow into it as you go. And it's also very interesting that she's one of the more, I think one of the more realistic female characters we've seen in a game. You know, she's not a caricature. She's not, you know, a sex object. I mean, she's a very interesting, motivated, capable female person that you get to watch really develop. So I think that makes her one of the better characters that I've enjoyed in gaming the last few years. Una third Aramis. Bueno, Yid, but be careful. I did a checkup on you after your fight, and I noticed something got inside your psycho karma. Jade was a female hero that had a soul. I thought she was a character that was well-realized, well-rounded, and 
you could relate to her, even if you're a guy, even though she was a girl. And one of the most remarkable things about Jade, that she was a character not designed around being super sexy, not having massive breasts or visible side boob or long legs. She was just straight out and out a strong character who had a lot of wit and a lot of bravery and was very endearing because of it. She didn't need to be sexualized and that made her like even better because of it. Mike Barton. You know what else though? She was compassionate. She was self-made. She looked after an orphanage. She kicked ass in combat. She was intelligent. She was witty. Any list that has female heroines in it, she belongs to the top of. Number 38, Cloud Strife, from Final Fantasy VII. Tina Sustarek. There is one aspect of the character most people don't notice these days. He could be to Final Fantasy like what Raiden is to Metal Gear, a thinly veiled metaphor for the audience's wishes to become someone else. While not as noticeable, it is definitely worth mentioning it. At the first sight, Cloud is a typical escapist character, but all that falls apart once you notice the subtle implications of an unexperienced and shy fanboy who wished himself into the memories of someone else, creating an illusion around himself because he couldn't face reality. Although it sounds very much like the gaming companies are subtly mocking its consumers, it does have a positive effect in the end. Being yourself is not a bad thing. By projecting ourselves into an artificial personality, it makes us lose all that we are, in most cases, because of the other people's opinion. Overcoming those opinions is the goal. I find myself with little to say about Cloud other than having the most iconic hair of the late 90s video game era. Spiky, polyhedral in one solid color, perfection. Carolyn Sonic. However, the poor guy had the misfortune of being in the same video game as Sephiroth. There's just no contest. He's not cool enough. His sword, unnaturally big as it was, just wasn't as cool as Sephi's. Now the world-born cloud strife of the Advent Children era, now we're talking. Moody wears a lot of black, the sword is even bigger than before, and he drives a bitchin' motorcycle. But I digress. Cloud was the main character of Final Fantasy VII, but he never really stood out to me. Perhaps it was because of the storyline of his fake persona melded on top of the Zack character, or perhaps it was a design decision to make it easier for the player to imprint themselves onto the seemingly bland character. Granted, it's been over ten years since I've played it, and he's still being compared to the yardstick of Sephiroth, so just about anyone would seem bland, I suppose. An iconic character from the most influential Final Fantasy game of the series. A must for this list. Number 7, Sam Fisher, The Splinter Cell Series. When it's light, you can't see into a place in the dark. But when it's dark, 
I can see what's around you much better. Really? Really. So if there's monsters or bad people around, you can see them. But if you're in the dark, they can't see you. I can't see you either. Can you please turn the light back on? Okay. Then how about this? There's one really cool thing I can show you. There is? Show me. Okay, here it is. When you're in the dark and your eyes get used to it, you can see all sorts of things around you really well. And then you can do stuff with them. Like what? Take a look at your mobile. You can see it really well, right? If there were monsters standing underneath it, because I can see it, maybe I could make it fall and they'd go away. It would fall on their heads and they wouldn't be bad Sam Fisher is kind of like game's answer to Jack Bauer and Batman. James Batchelor. Batman in the kind of predatorial sense as he sneaks up on his prey. He's also a kind of contemporary version of Garrett, the protagonist from the Thief series. He's much more brutal than the likes of Garrett or Snake or other stealth protagonists, particularly in the later games, Double Agent and Conviction, where he beats up his enemies to find out information or just take them out. He comes across as quite cold throughout most of the game, again, particularly in Conviction, where like he takes out like groups of enemies without a second's thought using the, uh, the mark and execute maneuver. This is often um, fueled by his kind of his bower-like devotion to his daughter, which often serves as like, a kind of motivation for him accepting missions, like a double agent when he goes into jail because his daughter's died, or you know, conviction where he's he's going through because he wants to find out who who killed his daughter. It provides a nice hook that makes the character much more deeper and much more humane than the usual two-dimensional mindless killer game protagonists who are just in it just to kill people and mayhem. It's interesting that Ubisoft made him an older character. He's a veteran, so he's been around the block, he knows what's going on, and it makes him a bit of a smart-ass. He often finishes sentences or predicts the orders that his superiors are going to give him. And his his cocky, almost arrogant attitude also makes the player kind of warm to him. As he, you know, when he interrogates guards, he is taken as a human shield. He he taunts them, and you can hear that he's really enjoying his work, although not in a kind of sadistic, psychopathic way. He just likes making evil people squirm. I think this is because Sam has got a clear-cut sense of morality, particularly in the later games where things like betrayal and difficult choices are regular occurrences. Again, kind of like Jack Bauer, he, he firmly believes that he knows what is right and what is wrong, and what counts as necessary sacrifice and needless loss, and the player often wants to help him bring about the justice he pursues. He's a great character, he makes the player feel really powerful when you're playing as him, you're sneaking around, you're taking out these terrorists, these evil you know, dictators, etc. You, you feel like a badass, and it's because he comes across as such a smart ass, a veteran, a brutal killer, and you just you would not want to run into him in a dark alley. Number thirty six, Alistair, Dragon Age. Do you have something else in mind? Oh, and now you've piqued my interest. It would surely be rude of me to decline such a delicious offer. Are you suggesting with her, I mean, wow. And here I am, awake and everything. Perhaps your friend is feeling left out. There is always room for one more. Yes? Uh, boundaries, hello. Are you really sure you want to, you know? Interesting, she says, like it was a good book or maybe a delightful pastry. Well, I'll say it. 
I am a weak, weak man. I guess I'll have to play along. Come. My ship is down by the docks, and I am sure you will find my cabins quite comfortable. Liz Atkins. I voted for Alistair as I think he needlessly gained a bad reputation when the game was released. A lot of people didn't like to use him in their group, preferring to go with another tank. However, gameplay-wise, in my own group, he was pretty much constantly the tank, with my character being an off-tank, because I haven't gotten around to playing a mage yet. His character may not be as funny as others, but whilst wandering around the cities, there seems to be a fair amount of banter between him and his fellow party members that made the journey more interesting. For example, quarrelling with Claudia Black's character, Morrigan, or trying to adopt the older mage, Wynne, as a mother and getting rather firmly knocked back. I've invested a fair amount of time into this game, either playing it myself or watching Tony's adventure and seeing Alistair's responses to male and female characters. To both, he becomes a loyal friend, ready to stand by you to the end and sacrifice himself for the good of Ferelden. However, playing as a female character adds another level to him. In your endeavour to unlock the experience the thrill of romance achievement with him, he shows an element of sweetness. For example, at a certain point of the relationship, he gives you a rose as a gift. In return for you attempting to win him over with presents. Plus, once he gets past the British stiff upper lip, repeating counters are met with a sly smile and your wish is my command. Overall, I was drawn to him more than some of the other characters because he is the first party member you meet and you witness his journey from being a young man not knowing his place in the world to becoming a king. He seems to grow as a character through the game, which can't be said for the other characters. My dear, you wouldn't consider... Leaving Alistair with me, would you? Or perhaps letting me borrow him for a week every summer? I'm sure we could work out a deal. Not that the idea of being borrowed isn't terribly fascinating, but let's not forget the Darkspawn. There may not be a week every summer, or any summer. Darkspawn? Is this the only thing men think about these days? What about the good old obsessions? Breasts, firm buttocks, wet frocks. Hmm... Wet frocks. Number 35. Sonic the Hedgehog. Tina Sustarek. I never believed into the whole mascot with an attitude thing. It always seemed more like an American belief. Because my opinion of Sonic didn't change as much. Because to me he is still the same blue speedy furball I've known for almost my entire life. As one of my earliest childhood heroes and first games, to me he still represents freedom, something all of us should have the right to own. Being a wanderer, he stops only to help people and animals alike, but being generally unpredictable, he prefers to decide for himself than being told what to do. His rebellious side and dislike for rules is nothing new, choosing to follow his own philosophy of that it doesn't matter who's right or wrong, as long as he feels what he's doing is the right thing, the view of the world be damned. 
Not only does he summarize his thoughts, but his way of life as well. With an inflated ego as his own, he is still the nicest jerk around. With a passion of picking flowers and admiring its beauties, a small gag on his status as the defender of nature, that's striking when compared to the rest of his personality. Sonic the Hedgehog. Finley Man. Generic platform animal. Kind of Sonic and Mario especially I'm pretty indifferent to now. I used to be a, a big fan when it was like, you know, SNES or the Master System and it was playing on that, but it's kind of been done to death now. Yeah, we we came of age during the year when they were like, oh, Christ, okay, Mario and Sonic are making money. Let's do a platform game with a, a cat that talks. And that's a good idea. And it didn't take long to focus group these characters together and to shit out the games. Yeah. There's just too I mean, many of them in the early 90s. I think the problem was is that they kind of realized that they had a good thing going and they just went with it and really went far too far with it. I don't even rate the earlier Sonic games all that much. I mean, they're all right, they're good for a blast through, but uh, I never really went back once I finished Sonic 2. I think it was Sonic 3, the one with Knuckles in. That was the one when I just stopped having any interest in it. I mean, Mario. Mario is Mario, but, you know, I kind of give up when he gets to the point where he's going around cleaning up graffiti and you've got to play the game. <laughs> so you play... Uh... Jet Grind Radio, and then you stop playing that, and then you play Super Mario Sunshine and undo all your work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so underground. <laughs> Thug life, baby. Let's clean up this wall and make it good for the ghetto children. <laughs> Number 34, Yuna, Final Fantasy X. Come on, show me! For everyone who considers Yuna to be one of the 50 greatest game characters ever, and the greatest Final Fantasy female character ever, I have five words for you. Ha, 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 ha. You probably shouldn't laugh anymore. Duncan O'Sullivan. Yuna is, on all intents and purposes, a suicide bomber. From birth, she has been trained to go kill Sin the Whale. Along the way, she's picked up some neat tricks. She can summon some uh, nice beasties, and she can walk on water once in a while. But that sequence at the Blitzball tournament with Tidus, that laughing moment, completely buggered the character for me. Completely ruined whatever dramatic thing she has, because you couldn't take her seriously after that. It was the first serious sign in my eyes that Final Fantasy was on a slippery slope. A very slippery slope. After 10-2 game X2, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, frankly, she shouldn't have been the central character in that either. For me, the two characters that come with that story with any hook, for lack of a better word, Oren, and for my own perverted purposes, Waka. Number 33, Andrew Ryan from Bioshock. I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? 
No, says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. A city where the artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Few games have embraced such an overtly philosophical concept as Bioshock. Fewer have included characters as steeped in philosophy as Andrew Ryan. Gary Blower. A mixture of objectivism and capitalism, he creates a deeply flawed and complex character and ultimately the backbone of the game. Overcome by his own self-belief, fear of Stalinist, fascist religion and conservatism, Andrew Ryan combines the traits of many of infamous villain and central character including the likes of Howard Hughes and 1970s Bomb villains. Played by Armin Shimmerman, who you may remember from DS9, he played Quark. It was an award-winning performance where the player is constantly drawn to his voice and his phil philosophical ramblings. The player constantly questions whether Andrew Ryan is a flawed genius or a selfish egotist. We wonder at his world, or do we take pity on its self-destruction? Ultimately, Ryan's own self-belief is the downfall of Rapture, and his own life. However, to the very end, he doesn't stray from his self-belief. No other game has attempted to include such a complex and political character. On completing Bioshock, the echoes of Andrew Ryan are felt long after the game's anticlimax and long after you've left Rapture. A man chooses, a slave obeys. Number 32, Ryu or Ken from the Street Fighter series. Is that not a cop-out? No. <laughs> it's, it's basically saying they're the Ken's same different. guy. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Actually, yeah, I think it is. If you're voting for Ryu or Ken, you're just saying, I like his the way his character plays. plays. It's not not a, a, that he's particularly got lots of character, because if he did, then you'd, you'd signify you liked Ken or Ryu. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're picking... Well, you're either picking on, on the playstyle, all but you know, similar. So then you're picking on the colour outfit. But I mean, obviously, uh, Street Fighter has cutscenes. I mean, I'm not a huge Street Fighter fan, so they build his character up enough for it to be. No, like, he's been wondering and wondering and wondering and wondering since 1991. In fact, probably since before then. Oh, I must, I must keep wandering the road to be the best Street Fighter available. This is really just nothing to do. Ken's a bit more interesting, but then you know he's married, and that's about it. They're not characters. But uh, they, they are, I, I guess, classic images of gaming parts. Oh, yeah. I mean, that you show a guy Ryu, and even though there's been a million karate guys, you probably go, oh, it's that dude from Street Fighter. And Ken, with those distinctive red pyjamas. Most definitely. <laughs> so I suppose in terms of being iconic, they absolutely score incredibly highly. And that's where we, we, you know, we, we do start to get ourselves into a bit of an argument about here, you know, what makes a, a, you know, an interesting video character and quite clearly it isn't always their storylines or the actual characters themselves it's more about the iconic nature of hence why you know, Yoshi is within this list and uh, 
know, Sonic hardly known for his compelling storyline, but you know, he's iconic for the, uh, the generation of people. Ryu uh, lives for the fight. He lives for the challenge. Um, he's earned his place as one of the greatest characters of all gaming history. He's the face of the entire Street Fighter series and has been since Street Fighter 1. And he's still been like the main character for me all the way through. And for most people, like Ryu is like one of those characters everyone recognizes, whether you know Street Fighter or not. I know people who've never played Street Fighter in their life who know Ryu. Um, but even past that, he's become the archetype for all fighting games. He's the baseline character. He's the guy who throws the fireball. He's the guy who has the like the, the anti-air attack. He was the original fighter. Mike Buck. Not only that, he's been in comics, he's been in films, he's been in books. He's had songs written about him. Um, and how many times, if, if anyone's ever loved Street Fighter, you must have some at some point thrown a Hadouken. Um, even in my adult life, I still find myself going, Hadouken! And doing the motion and everything. In fact, one of the proudest days of me being an uncle was one of my nephews turned, went Uncle Mikey and threw me Hadouken. He went, Hadouken! It was awesome. He was awesome. The thing is, Ryu is an awesome character. A pure warrior through and through, no doubt. Also, he beats Sagat. Have you seen the size of Sagat? He's massive. You have to be a badass to beat someone like Sagat. And Ryu, my friend, you are that guy. Ryu, you rule, and I cannot wait to play you in Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and beat the crap out of Iron Man and Wolverine and the Hulk with you. Number 31. Nico Bellic. Don't do the voice. <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 4. During the war, we did some bad things. And bad things happened to us. I was very young. I'm very angry. Maybe that is no excuse. But I need money. This pays. And I'm good at it. creature that could do this doesn't have a soul. David Turner. I, I kind of didn't really like Nico Bellic. If you played um, any of the add-on packs, the DLC packs for Grand Theft Auto 4, I think they were a lot more effective because the characters were more lovable. Um, whereas Nico mm. was... I mean, the game was based around um, you thinking about your consequences, uh, but the character wasn't. So it didn't... Nico didn't quite sit in the world around him and it, that kind of made it a little bit frustrating to control him because 
you know, someone would turn around and just say, oh yeah, go out and murder everyone. Mm. And Nico would be like, okay. And, <laughs> you know, actually, Nico, chill out there a little bit, because yeah, I don't really want you to do that. It um, was inconsistent. The fact that you could agonise about killing this guy at the end and you've just butchered 10,000 gangsters. Yeah. And, you know, and or innocent people. At the end of the day, okay. it's still a game, but Nico seems so, um, frivolous to the actions he was taking to the people around him that when it, the game tried to make you think about what you were doing and, and make choices you, you just thought well can't Nico just be like he has been throughout the whole game psychotic and, yeah yeah and he started out well but I think there's a turning point somewhere in the middle of the game that you're just like you know I don't care about this guy anymore he's just crazy yeah. It's basically like maybe the 700th time you hear him like walking through a warehouse going, I'm going to fucking eat your intestines! To people <laughs> yeah. behind, when they're shooting at you from behind a post and you're like, yeah, yeah he he's a madman. He's a caring man. <laughs> he, he loves his family. It's fine. Yes, a little of my family. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the, with, with the, the, you know, how he stuck out like a sore thumb, it stopped you from liking the character as much as I think Rockstar would want, uh, actually wanted you to, you know, um, which is a shame, but, you know, that's Nico. I will eat your shit! <laughs> Number 30, Zidane Tribal, Final Fantasy IX. Honestly, I don't know why this character is on this list. For my money, Vivi is the standout character of Final Fantasy IX. Granted, my memory of this game is even more hazy than Final Fantasy VII, so take that statement with a grain of salt. Uh, he's got a tail, and he's a dude? Carolyn Sonic. Sorry, guys, I got nothing. I actually really quite like Zidane. He's, um, of all the PlayStation Final Fantasy lead characters, he was the perky one. Compare him with Cloud or Squall, and he was good fun. It, I, I was so sick of the emo and the kind of, oh, my life is such a ruin. It was really nice and refreshing to just play this sort of fun little thief monkey guy who was good at sword fighting and dueling and just, you know, wanted to help. He, he, he didn't have serious issues of his own. He had a dark link to him, but it, it, you didn't spend the whole game brooding, which I don't think Tidus really managed to capture because he was too annoying. But the, the merciful saving grace for Zidane is that he didn't talk. You couldn't hear his voice because I think he'd have been annoying if he could. Number 29. Carl C.J. Johnson from Grand Theft Auto. San Andreas. Yo, this feel to the deal. Motherfucking cop just jack me because I'm drinking beer and milk down. What's up, man? Alright, man, fuck em. I don't give a fuck. They don't put me to my limit. I'm all lit. I might blow up any nitty gritty to get. And now I'm in the back of the pack. Wagging while this cop's bragging about the nigga he's back. I see no justice. All I see is niggas dying fast. Sound of a gun blast. Then watch the hurt. Just another day in the life. 
I'm a little surprised he's as high as this. I, I, obviously, Grand Theft Auto is a huge series, and a lot of people have played it. But I, I never came away from that game loving CJ. Did you? No, I smashed two light switches because of him. Yeah, I mean, it, the gameplay obviously was completely repetitive from what we'd have in other previous GTA uh, games at the time. But there's just something about his wanting to be like you know have control of his community, and it, you know it's it's all for the you know the, the greater good of his gang and you know for his mum. Never, never really paid, never really bought any of that stuff. So I'm surprised he's quite as high as he is. But once again, I, you know, if you're talking about iconic video game characters, you know, he's one, one of the biggest games of all time. So comes with the territory, I guess. Horrible game. <laughs> Well, in terms of characters, I always thought the the more interesting characters in the Grand Theft Auto games aren't actually the main character, but the the side characters. Finley Man. So ones like, well, San Andreas, so the truth with Peter Fonda, I think it was. Yes. And Samuel L. Jackson as Officer Tenpenny, I think it was. Tenpenny, yeah. And poor dead Chris Penn. What's happening with you, Roddy? Respect has to be earned, sweet. Just like money. So what you saying? You don't respect me? What I'm saying is, speak up, nigga. I'm hungry. God, man. Hey, <laughs> man, cannot live on bread alone. I know. I tried that shit. Carl, you look a little thin, man. You gotta be hungry, man. Yeah, now, I what you eat. fools trying to eat? Let's roll. Some tacos. Tacos again? Hell no. Chicken, man. No discussion. Man, I don't want no chicken. Hey, sorry, bro. You know I gotta know about mom. No, CJ, I know. I'm just trying not to think about it, though. I mean, I didn't know she was hit until it was all over. Yeah, right, 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 right. Let's eat. Say what, Smoke? All you managed to do was eat my damn food up. Yeah, it was getting cold. Y'all coming in for a beer? Nah, baby. I need to get back to the crib. CJ, give me a ride. All right, Smoke, let's go. See y'all later. Number 28, HK-47 from Knights of the Old Republic. Statement. HK-47 is ready to serve, Master. Now, if you want an exercise in how you write a comedy character... Neil Taylor. ...with a little bit of an edge, this is where you look. HK-47 is an absolutely brilliantly written character. uh, And everyone knows his taglines of meatbags, which he often uses to refer to human beings as meatbags. I was under the assumption that organic meatbags such as yourself enjoyed such forms of address. Retraction. Did I say that out loud? I apologize, Master. While you are a meatbag, I suppose I should not call you such. Uh, it's a terrifically fun character, and no matter which side of the force you're playing, whether you're playing the light side or the dark side, you always want to go and have a conversation with HK-47 after every mission, or after every time you've done something, just to see if he says a bit more. The writing on that character is so fantastically funny and evil. It's brilliant. He's a real counterpoint for C-3PO from the movies, who was very uh, camp and funny in that respect, whereas HK-47 is sort of like the evil twin brother. You know, all he needs is the dodgy little goatee, and he would be officially the evil twin brother. Query. I am confused. No, you do not wish to be referred to as meatbag, or no, it does not suffice. He comes out with some of the most cracking lines and it, you never get tired of hearing him refer to people as meat bags or insisting that you should kill somebody to get your way 
and things like that. I just love that character. He's a real highlight of what is already a fantastic game. So yeah, HK47, one of the best characters in video games ever. Full stop. Meatbags. Answer. Deliberation implies some form of intent, Master, when I'm only stating a fact. Perhaps you would prefer the term liquidious fleshbag. To me, HK47 was like a cute little puppy. An eager, energetic, wanting to please his master, sociopathic, robotic puppy. The thing about HK47 was he was the most honest being I've ever experienced in any game. You knew where you stood with him. Objection. But, but that technical term does not accurately portray the vast amount of bulbous slushiness present in your bipedal form. He basically wanted to kill you, and everything around you, and was only pleased when killing and maiming things. Mike Bob. But the main thing was, you knew where you stood with him. Another thing you have to love about him was the way he would speak. For instance, commentary. The meatbag speaks without clarity. Detail your involvement, or the master will splatter your organs on the floor. It's almost poetry. Commentary. How would you like to be the wholly owned servant to an organic meat bag? It's demeaning, if, uh, you were one yourself, I mean. He thrives on negativity in all aspects, whether it being negative emotions, negative actions, and quite honestly, whenever you did anything nice in uh, the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic games, he basically would feel let down. Therefore, in the original Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic game, I went dark side just to please him, because quite frankly, like I said, he's like a puppy. I didn't want to kick the puppy by being a nice guy. So therefore, I killed everyone around me, thus pleasing my assassination droid, HK-47. Qualification. Uh, perhaps I did not mean it quite like that, Master. I mean, while an artificial life form is superior, I mean... Nice human. Good human. HK-47 was a fully realized character. You know, he had a personality beyond what most video game characters have at all, and he wasn't even a main character. In fact, if I met him in real life, I'm almost sure I could, like, guess how the conversation would go somewhere along the line of him calling me a meatbag, being derogatory to me, and saying something funny without meaning it. HK-47 is like C-3PO, only with a personality, a gun, and is actually likable, and is not annoying on every single level. In fact, if HK-47 had been in the new Star Wars trilogy, I would have loved the new Star Wars trilogy. Despite the acting, despite the story, despite the fact that it destroyed my childhood memories, HK-47 would have made those films worth watching. If you believe your skills are up to the task, Master, then I can certainly guide you through the process. Request. I only ask that you be oh so very careful, Master. I am too valuable and well-crafted to perish at the hands of ineptitude. Negatory. Uh, no, Master. You are not a droid, however, and therefore your skills are limited by the physical capabilities of your meatbag extremities. Or some such. Appeasement. Yes, Master. Of course, Master. Could we begin? Statement. As you wish, Master. You are already familiar with accessing my central control cluster, correct? Now you will need to... <gasps> what are you doing? Remove the arc wrench! Remove the arc wrench! Medic! Supplication. Perhaps it would be best if you desisted your efforts for the moment, me... I mean, Master. As you desire, Master. I cannot help but claim a small amount of relief. Signing off. Number 27. Kaim, is it Kaim? Kaim. You're the you're the one who bombs this game. Kaim. Kaim Number twenty-seven. Kaim Argonar from Lost Odyssey.
Finley Man. I think Kame is personally one of the best characters that I've seen in the game, um, mainly because of the character development. Um, in a lot of games, it's just a traditional badass Master Chief just goes to killing stuff, not a huge amount of development of the character itself. Um, but actually, Kame in Lost Odyssey, I thought was quite a deep character. Um, from the start, when he loses his memories, um, and seems quite kind of desensitized from what's going on, and kind of you see more of a, a human character towards the end with um, Cook and Mac, and also with Sarah, they seem to kind of bond quite well, and it seems quite a kind of a maturing of a character, which is quite a nice thing to see in a game. It was quite a refreshing change for a JRPG, especially from considering it was from the creators of Final Fantasy, to see someone that wasn't stereotypically JRPG. He was mature, wasn't he? He was mature and he didn't have a silly haircut or a massively oversized sword. I don't have much time. Cook. Mac. Come here. Listen. Both of you. Time here is my father. I know he looks very young, but he is your grandfather. The one I've told you so much about. Your dear dear treasures I've been able to hold on this long because you've been here Father take care of them please of course Father and number 26, Faith Connors from Mirror's Edge. Once the city used to pulse with energy. Dirty and dangerous, but alive and wonderful. Now, it's something else. The changes came slowly at first. Most didn't realize or didn't care and accepted them. They chose a comfortable life. Some didn't. And those who refused to conform were pushed to the sidelines. Criminalized. They became our clients. We call ourselves runners. We exist on the edge. Between the gloss and the reality. The mirror's edge. We keep out of trouble. Out of sight. And the cops don't bother us. Runners see the city in a different way. We see the flow. Rooftops become pathways and conduits, possibilities, and routes of escape. The flow is what keeps us running, keeps us alive. I'm not entirely sure if I'm here to defend or criticize Faith. <laughs> Let's see how it goes as I go along. Sinan Kuba. Um, Faith from Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge, I, I love Mirror's Edge as a game. I think it's it's fantastic, it's wonderful. I've played it three times now on uh, the PS3 and 360, and if they've released it for something else, I will probably play it there too. Um, I guess they have released it for PC, so maybe I should go play it on PC. But 
I, I think um, Faith is a character. I'm kind of a little bit surprised that she's on it, and say someone like Samus is is not. In terms of her personality, we know that she's got principles and she's got political agenda in that she wants to fight this kind of corrupt and constricting futuristic world and she does that by being a runner uh, uh, this person who basically is delivering things across this strange world by uh, running very quickly from the police and getting stuff from A to B as quickly as possible Beyond that, we know that she's strong. We know that she won't really take any shit from anyone. Kind of standard for your for your lead female in video games, sadly. But uh, we also know that she has got these sort of family roots and that she she still cares about her sister, even though the, the two of them lead completely different lives. She is a criminal to all extents and her sister is a cop. But when crisis comes, she will be there for her sister. And, uh, you know, that's that's something. I think that's something to latch on to, as I'll, as I'll talk about later. But beyond that, we don't really get to know all that much about her. The game isn't... The, the story in the game isn't really so much about faith as it is about this world and its corruption. I don't really know what more to say about her in terms of her personality. In terms of her design, I think she is absolutely fantastic. I think she represents one of the best character designs we've seen in gaming for some time, in that she bucks the trend of booksome, uh, overly endowed female lead characters. And she's not scantily clad, she's not wearing skimpy clothes, she's wearing clothes that suit what she's doing. You know, she's got a, a black vest top and these white sort of tracksuit pants, and she's got trainers on, and she also has the mark which sort of on her face the black kind of lightning mark underneath her eye which signifies that she's kind of a a rebel I guess you would say that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that mark on her she's also apart from being this character who bucks the sex appeal trend of female leads she's also Eurasian and uh, as someone who is Middle Eastern I always find it really kind of interesting and, and fascinating and great to see characters from atypical races in terms of how they're represented in games actually appear in games, especially a female lead. I mean, I can't even think of that many Eurasian characters in video games full stop. When you consider how much of the world is Asian and how much of the world is Eurasian, it's surprising to see this Eurasian uh, female lead character in a Western video game. And yet she doesn't feel like she's just been put in there, just to be Eurasian you, 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 I don't know I think uh, maybe it's because we see her sister maybe it's because we're privy to her backstory maybe it's just because it's never really highlighted but it, 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 it seems to feel good, right I, I guess is the, is the right term for her to be Eurasian in this game it certainly doesn't feel like she should be Caucasian or, or anything else and I think that's great it's great to see characters from minorities or at least minorities in video games actually get represented once or twice, you know? Um, We'll let that train pass. The thing that sort of niggles in the back of my mind is, you know, Mirror's Edge didn't really sell very well, and a lot of people have said that's because you have this really tricky concept to get your head around in the first place in terms of first person platformer 
but you also, or at least I do, I get this kind of sick feeling wondering how much better it would have sold if Faith was a bit more Lara Croft-like. You know, if she had a bit more of a chest and she had a bit more of a figure and uh, she was more scantily clad and, and you know, if she did kind of things like, I don't know, if, uh, you know, if she played Underworld, say, for example, there's a lot of overemphasis on how Lara's body moves in that game, which is just a bit childish and immature. And, you know, I think it's the kind of thing that uh, teenagers... I don't even think teenagers really kind of are interested in that, to be honest. I think uh, she's so much of a caricature, it's just a little bit silly, Lara Croft. Whereas Faith is... She's not just there on her sex appeal. She's a woman, and uh, it's not that she isn't feminine, but she's not defined by being a woman in Mirror's Edge and you know and maybe in that respect maybe that's why she deserves a place in this list because frankly female characters in games are so little of the time not defined by being a woman in a game you know they, they have to be uh, overly feminine or overly sexed up and Faith is neither of those things and yet she's not just the typical uh, strong bitch type character either she's got a bit of a heart to her because we we see that end with her sister and there is this bit of emotion and okay it's not like a a love interest emotion where i don't you know i still don't think we're ever going to see a female lead character get the guy (laughs) at least not not for some time but it's great to see that there is love in this character that she does love her sister and she can be emotional with her sister at this end of the game and uh i thought that endeared me to her so I guess <laughs> I kind of worked myself through it and I realised I do want to defend her as a character because she is a great representative as a, as a female game character she is not your Soul Calibur or your Street Fighter or your Lara Croft or your whatever she is just a woman trying to get by in this world and, and do the best for herself and her family and try to make a difference and that's very likeable. And that is all from this week's episode. For the concluding half, where you can hear the characters 25 all the way through to number one, download next week's show. Once again, many thanks to our contributors for this episode. That's Lucas Carlson, Neil Taylor from Gameburst, David Turners from Joypod, Carolyn Sonic from TechSnark, Dan Ilson from the Internet, Finley Mann, Mike Barton from Game Overcast, Duncan O'Sullivan, Tina Sestarek, James Batchelor from Gameburst, Liz Atkins, Gary Blower from Ninja Fat Pigeons, and Sinan Kuba from Big Red Potion. And remember, November is the Digital Cowboys Donation Month, so if you'd like to give a little something back for all those hours of entertainment, then the PayPal button is on our website. Many, many thanks to those who have already donated so generously. We will see you next week. To find out who is number one. Who the community voted. I, it's controversial, but I... I, I, I <laughs> it's definitely controversial. Don't laugh, it is. It's going to upset a few people, I can tell you right now. I think, yeah. So uh, tune in for next week.
酸。